your pastors. I'm so happy you're doing a pastor appreciation thing. Um, most churches I go and they, oh yeah, that's October. Um, but you guys are on it. And you know the pastors statistically studies prove in that pastors come in with their self-esteem here and they're finished with it down there. Did you know that? You would think they're the most self-esteemed people in the world because they're such narcissists to have everybody want to listen to them every week. But every other week, somebody tells them how bad they are and why they're leaving. They project their fatherhood wounds upon the father of the tribe and say, like, you're the reason this place is bad and I'm out of here. They don't say, like, God called me someplace else, you know, our season is done, thanks for serving. They say, you're a jerk. (laughs) Or they don't say anything at all. They could be your best friends. And you serve with them for decades and they just disappear. Lord God, the body of Christ should learn to behave. But that's another story. Thank you so much for serving you guys. You know you're not supposed to have favorites. You know that, right? My kids are always trying to ask me, hey, which one of us are... is our favorite, is your favorite. We have three kids, they're all adults. You'd think they'd be over that by now. The oldest is 39. And they're always asking, am I your favorite? Like, I'm not going to say that. These guys are our favorite, though. Um, And don't tell any of the other pastors. Because when the other ones call, they call with problems. And these guys call with vision and dreams and and ideas and things that they could do for the kingdom. I kind of like that. Hey, thanks for being part of the Foursquare family. You don't even know you are, nor should you, because it's not something that you think about or talk about at church. You talk about Jesus. Imagine that. I never talked about this when I was a pastor because I didn't really care that we were part of that family in the sense that it isn't part of your daily life. What's part of your daily life is walking with Jesus and being part of and understanding the word of God and how it applies to you. But let me just tell you, there are some things that we can do together that's better than others, or than not being. I'll show you a couple of pictures here of something that you happen to be part of without even knowing it. You know, when we just passed those little horse bags, those beautiful bags of goodness, part of it ended up right there, and that is in Indonesia. Indonesia just was massively uh, earthquake destroyed, and part of your gifts ended up in that truck and ended up feeding people and helping a church. Did you show the picture of the church yet, the second one? Um, This is worship on Sunday morning after the earthquake. This is a church. That's what's left of it. That's the sanctuary. That's the people gathering to worship Jesus Sunday morning right after the earthquake. There were dozens of Foursquare churches that were leveled in Indonesia. We took an offering in that conference Dan was talking about, raised an extra four grand. And I want to tell you something that's really cool about being part of uh, this organization at this point. Our board, I mean, who talks about board meetings? Like, I hate board meetings. I have to go once a year and it kills me. Um, But I go. And uh, our board had an excess last year. Guess what they did with it? They built a monument to themselves. No, they didn't. You know what they gave it to? That would be normal, right? That's what movement, that's what organizations do. Let's build a legacy room. Let's build that. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. You know what they did? They put it in the disaster relief fund so that when this stuff happens, they could just go give it away. Come on. That is so good. So thanks for being part of that. And um, I really appreciate you guys doing that. Hey, what's your biggest hurdle in life right now? 
What's your biggest hurdle? You don't have to say it, just think it. We all have one. There's stuff that's coming up and we're going like, I have to get my timing down because I'm going to have to jump over this hurdle. I remember um, just a few years ago, our granddaughter was diagnosed with diabetes, eight years old. We were in Palm Springs. They were in San Diego. We got in the car the minute we heard this diagnosis. We ran down there and I was just thinking, God, this sucks. I don't want to go through this. I don't want her to go through this. What can I do? Diabetes for her is a huge hurdle. I remember pastoring in Oak Harbor and, uh, and this guy came up to me. He'd been one of our naval officers. He's actually the, the head of Pure Desire in the East Coast today. And he said, Dave, I have a word for you. And I'm like, oh, that always makes me nervous. Um, I don't know if I'm going to like what God's going to say. And I don't know if you're going to say what God's really saying. Um, so I'm nervous on two fronts. And he said, and he says, you're late. You're late to building a building and God wants you to get on it right now. This place is too full. And I'm like, oh, I know, I know, I know. And so the Goliath that was staring me in the face was building a building. And I remember looking out at our congregation going, God, I'm about to undertake this fundraiser where, I, I mean, I need to raise money and I can't see $12 out there. I'd look out of the congregation and go like, God, there's no money there. What are you going to do? Like this stupid. Do you ever get in places where you're just like arguing with God and you're going like, God, this can't happen. It's too big. What's your Goliath? We all have one. And if you don't, there's one common. What's the Goliath for life spring? What is the Goliath that's coming at us? And the problem with Goliaths is they don't just show up. They mock you. They mock you for 40 days. We got the opportunity to go on a Mediterranean cruise this last year. My wife had always wanted to go to Spain. So uh, it was our 40th anniversary. We were married on the exact same day, same hour as our oldest son's uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law. We've been friends with them since I was 18 years old. So they were our partners and we went on this cruise. And while we were there, uh, this 12-day cruise, it drops us in Croatia. Now, who's ever thought, man, I want to go to Croatia? That's never crossed my mind, you know, like Croatia, like, okay, whatever. It's just on the, it's on the deal, you know, so you're going there. You don't have a choice. You get on the boat, you go where they take you. We get off in Croatia and, uh, there's going to be a picture showing up here of the Croatian waterfront, which you'd think you wouldn't want to build something like that in, uh, in the beautiful Mediterranean Sea. But, you know, back in the, in the Mediterranean Sea, in the, in the, back in the day, these guys would just go and conquer each other and take all of the women and children as their slaves and haul them off and kill all the guys. And, you know, there's always like, we should probably build something to keep them from doing that. So this big, huge wall, which I did not walk, which is like, I think, it was, I think it was 14 bucks to get up there. And I'm like, it's 100 degrees. That's upstairs. Uh, no, I'm good. Um, but I looked at it and my friends walked it. And, um, and we were there right in between the World Cup, the finals and the semifinals. And who remembers who was in the finals? Croatia. That's the sport that all the rest of the world watches. We watch American football all day yesterday. 
uh, two Washington schools won. Thank you, Jesus. The Croatian flag is interesting. You know, you get on these little cruise ships and sometimes you pay for the, for the tour and it's usually some history major that knows way more than they ever would have any use for and so they want to download all of it to you in an hour. Um, the only thing that I remember about this, this particular story where this lady talked for probably two hours into my ear in this little earpiece thing they give you and the only story that I remember that really... Uh, was impactful was the legend of the Croatian king Drislav. Drislav was um, an avid chess player. And sure enough, another group came and conquered him and they threw him in a dungeon prison. <coughs> and as Drislav is they're trying to figure out how he's going to get out of this prison, he found out that the other king that had conquered him was also a chess buff. So he said, dude, I have an idea. Let's, let's chess battle it off. First one that wins three wins the war. It's like, cool, let's do it. So these two kings gather and they play off a chess match. What's crazy about this is it's actually the part that conquered them was, was um, let me see if I can say it right, Demaltia, which is actually in First Timothy. Um, and it's actually still now part of Croatia already, which Croatia just broke away from where? Yugoslavia. See, things we don't know over here. We're like, I don't know. They're over there. They're doing something. I don't know what it is. So the Croatian king wins, and that's the end of it. And the flag, the Croatian flag, the Croatian uniform in the World Cup, do you remember what it is? It's a chessboard. It's a red and white checkered flag, a red and white checkered uniform. Why? Because the Croatians were set free by winning a chess match. Who would think that you could win a battle of chess and set your people free? But all of us are facing some sort of invasion, some sort of exploitation, some sort of problem in our lives. My first point today is you've got something bigger than you. Do you? Goliath mocked Israel for 40 days. He stood on one side of this valley. The Israelites were on the other side of this valley. And instead of just saying, you suck, we're going to kill you, he did it in religious terms. My God's better than your God. My God's going to whip your God. We're going to kill you. Goliath was rather a large man, if you remember. 1 Samuel 17 says a giant nearly 10 feet tall stepped out from the Philistine line into the open. Goliath from Gath. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was dressed in armor. 126 pounds of it. He wore a bronze shin guard and carried a bronze sword. His spear was like a fence rail. The spear tip alone weighed over 15 pounds. His shield bearer walked ahead of him. Can you imagine the head of a spear weighing 15 pounds? I mean, that's like a dumbbell. You know, he's going to chuck that thing and that might pierce your skin. We'll see. The Israelites to a man fell back. 
the moment they saw the giant, totally frightened. The talk among the troops was, have you ever seen anything like this? The man openly and defiantly challenging Israel. The man who kills the giant will have it made. The king will give him a huge reward, offer his daughter as a bride, and give his entire family a free ride. No taxes forever. And not only that, you could have my daughter. Now, nobody's talking about how cute she is or isn't. So maybe that's a good deal. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But it seemed like they were thinking this is a pretty good deal. You get to marry the king's daughter. You don't have to pay taxes the rest of your life. Come on, let's go. Who wants to go? And they're all like, I'm good, thanks. I'm okay. You go ahead and go. The whole army of Israel, not one taker saying, let's go ahead and go for that. See, the church has something bigger than you as well. The church is facing Goliaths all the time. If you read the news, if you read statistics, if you look around, the church is not thriving today. I don't really believe that, honestly. Because statistics talked about a cultural Christianity, and today we don't have cultural Christianity. Maybe in the South. But for the most part, nobody checks the box, I'm a Christian anymore, unless they really are. So to statistics are plummeting of Christianity. I think the truth of the matter is that real Christian Christianity is rising and cultural Christianity is dying. When I became a Christian at 17, 18 years old, I came home to my mom and said, Mom, I became a Christian. She went, of course you are. We're, we're American. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Like, I had repented from my sin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll get over it. You're fine. No, no, I was a sinner. You taught me really well. No, I the other day we were at a Husky game and um, I was in line to get onto the link rail and the cop said, hey, we need to change the trajectory of this line. One of my pet peeves are lines. Um, the Starbucks line in SeaTac, I have to go to SeaTac often. The Starbucks line, they just go right out into the middle of the of the concourse like dude seriously we're all walking by here you could line that so this cop was making this suggestion i'm like yeah you're right let's move it over here so we move it over here and as soon as we moved most of the people didn't follow us and the line started to move and so we're like dude we just got ripped about 20 people and we're walking the line and this great big guy goes like dude seriously you're gonna cut in here like, honestly, that police officer right there just made us move and we're coming back in. And honestly, we just got, dude, I've seen everything now. You're trying to cut in. That's such an old line. We're like, oh. the guy was going to throw down because we're like, because we're like cutting in. And actually, we lost about 20 spaces. He was our Goliath for a moment. <laughs> It's pretty crazy when you think about all of the men standing on one side of Israel's army. And and David, he is the shepherd boy, right? He's the guy out doing nothing. And his dad says, hey, would you take some cheese and bread to the guys at the war? All right, dad, whatever you want. So David, the only reason he's even there is to deliver some food supplies to his family members so they can stay at the battle. He's not even thought of as worthy of being there. He's not even invited. He's like, 
unthought of. He's like, he's like Edgewood. Who would think of Edgewood? Who would think of it inviting Edgewood into the battle? Who would think of you? Who would think of me? My second point today is get discipled. Why would you need to be discipled? People use this term really loosely today. Discipleship is one of the biggest lacks in uh, Christianity. When we do the TCAT, the number one thing that's, uh, that's missing in most churches is discipleship to where people are growing in their faith and they know how to become a mature believer. It's pretty important to learn how to grow, isn't it? Learn how to be what God's called you to be, to learn how to walk with Jesus. David said, I've been a shepherd tending sheep for my father. Whenever a lion or a bear came and, and took a lamb from the flock, I'd go after it. I'd knock it down and rescue the lamb. If it turned on me, I'd grab it by the throat, wring its neck and kill it. Lion or bear, it made no difference. I killed it. And I'll do the same to this Philistine pig who's tra- taunting the troops of God alive. God who delivered me from the teeth of the lion and the claws of the bear will deliver me from this Philistine. Saul said, okay, go ahead. God help you. Why is that a relevant part of the story? Because David had experience. David had experience of God delivering him. David, this was not his first rodeo. Most of the the guys on the battlefield... They just went into battle with everybody else and they hoped that they would get to come home knowing there's a pretty good chance they might not. But David, being the little guy left out in the middle of the, of the sheep, middle of nowhere, when something went wrong, he said, God, come on, let's go. And every single time, God had delivered David and David knew that God was with him. David knew this was not his first battle. It's his first giant, but I've done a lot of these little ones. People make such huge assumptions about ministry and about calling that if I would just get up here, then everything would be okay. Well, I'm just telling you right now, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Because you learn by being out there, not up here. You learn little by little by little. You learn when the lion comes after you. You learn when the bear comes after you. But everybody wants to sign up for the giant. You don't start with giants. This is not smart. Start with your own self. Start with little by little. And God will He'll show Himself faithful. God has proven Himself faithful to David. He was not at all concerned about this. His whole life had been taking on enemies for God. And he'd learned. He'd learned that God had been faithful, 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 then fruitful. And we all want to start with fruitful. Nobody likes being stuck in the holding pattern. Sucks, doesn't it? Saying, God, where do you take me? Well, if it were that simple, we wouldn't have to wait for 40 days of mockery, we just go take him out on day one. But God uses those times in our lives, those times, those valleys where there's just this in-between to shape us and build our character. So that when a giant shows up, we're going like, 
I know God. When diabetes shows up on my granddaughter, I'm like, I know God's got this. I don't like it. I'm not happy. I believe in healing, and yet I've walked through places and seasons where it didn't happen. And God's still God. And He's going to deliver us. Are you in training? You better be. Why? Because the giant's coming. They don't just happen for the children of Israel. They happen for us. Every single individual will face a giant. And if we've been training for that giant by taking on the bears and the lions, we'll be golden. If we avoid them, we will not. So start your training today. What are you waiting for? Here's what I love about this story. David, he, he was not battle worthy. He was thought of as too young, too inexperienced. Just the, the kid out and the shepherd. And yet Saul, Saul saw something totally different. He said, you know what? Go get him, Tiger. He endorsed and he empowered this crazy young man who shouldn't have been able to do anything. And he said, you, you got it. Go for it. Now, what's interesting when we think about that is we have a tendency to empower people and then try to tell them how to do it. You ever done that? Okay, so you're going to be the new fill-in-the-blank, and here's what you do. Do A, B, C, this is how it works. I've been doing this forever. Just do these things and you'll be fine. They did the same thing to, to David. How did they? My point is you've got to be who God called you to be. Yeah. Then Saul outfitted David in a soldier, as a soldier in armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and he belted his sword over him, over the armor, and David tried to walk but he couldn't hardly budge. David told Saul, I can't even move in all this, with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it all off. Don't you just love that part of the story? Saul's like, here's how you, here's how you can win this. You're the crazy guy. You're the one, only one that's going, I'll do this. So here, let me just put you in all the stuff that we normally do for battle. And David's like, you know what, I've been, I've been doing these battles, and I don't do it like that. And he took it off. How many times, as a young person, would we go like, oh, okay, if that's what I'm supposed to do, I'll do it. Or how many times, as an older leader, do we tell younger people, you've got to do it like this, and then watch them bury themselves in the armor you made them wear? Don't. If you empower let them go. And so often, as I'm experiencing church with a bunch of boomers, we're trying to empower young people to lead like us, and they're like, I wouldn't even go to your church, let alone lead like that. Do I have to have all those silk flowers everywhere? You guys don't have any? I just literally walked around a, a, a building with a young guy taking over a church for a guy who's been there for 40 years, and we poured in at every silk flower, a whole room full of them. Can, does he have to keep these? Guys like 30. Do I have to keep all these silk? You know, like, okay, boomers, we love silk flowers. I don't know why. They don't. Who cares? Who really cares? It's about the gospel. It's not about our silk flowers. You got to be who God called you to be. 
Don't try to be Puyallup 4. There's already one. Don't try to be Zoe Church. It might be cool, but I don't know. It works for some people. I've been there. Don't try to be the edge. They're right down the street. And don't try to be anybody else. I mean, learn and grow from other people, but don't try to be them. Don't you love Dan and Mary? Dan the piano man? Don't you wish you could be Dan? <laughs> no, he's crazy. <laughs> he's a good kind of crazy, but I don't want to be that kind. I have my own kind to function within. Right? You don't need to be Dan the piano man. I mean, who could beat on a piano that hard anyway? Right? you like, I'm so sorry for you. I'm like, I'm apologizing for all the times Dan has hit you. you like, you don't have to be Dan. You have to be you. You don't have to be Mary. She's so kind and sweet. Who else is that nice? My wife. That'd be about it. You know, the rest of us, we just pretend. Be the best version of you. God hasn't called you to be somebody else. God hasn't called you to put on someone else's armor. God hasn't called you to speak like someone else or to be somebody. He's called you to be you because you're the only people that can reach the influence of people around you. Nobody else can do it. Put on your own armor, not somebody else's. Fourth point is to get ready for battle. So David's empowered. He is tried the suit on and said, no, thank you. He goes to the, to the riverbed and he picks out five stones. Anybody ever tried to figure that one out? Five stones. Why? Why would he get five? I mean, people will say there's all kinds of reasons. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his pocket of his shepherd's pack And with his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. And as the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. And he took one look at him and sneered, a mere youngster, apple-cheeked and peach-fuzzed. The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on! said the Philistine, I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. Why was David carrying five stones? Some people will say, well, it's possible that that's because there's five books in the Torah. I don't know, maybe. Some would say, well, David had four brothers, so there's five of them, and he picked a stone for each brother. Maybe. Kind of doubt it, but maybe. It's a nice story. Maybe it's because he might miss with the first shot. Maybe. I don't know. Max Lucado, he can spin a story out of any theological point. He would say there's five P's as to why David picked five stones for your past, your prayer, for priority, for passion, and persistence. For the past... For the gratitude of the training that David had. Knowing that if God had delivered him all these other times, he was surely going to deliver him again. And he was saying, God, thank you for the past. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you that you have become all that I have ever seen you do. And the second P was prayer. Because you're an absolute idiot 
if you go attack a Goliath without the leading of the Holy Spirit. Right? Don't go take on no stupid Goliath. I don't care who it is unless God told you to. And so many people in Christianity are just running around looking for a fight. And they're fighting a lot of the wrong stuff. We should be fighting about Jesus being on the throne and people being loved into the kingdom, not right or left politics or, oh, I could give you a million things, but I'll offend half of you. Um, <laughs> Goliath had to call, had to, you had to know you were called. You have to be prayed up knowing this is what you're supposed to do. You had to have the priority of selflessness. Priority of selflessness. Understand that when you go into battle, this could be it. Is this a hill I'm willing to die on? Most things aren't. But every now and then you have to say, God, this hill I'm willing to die on. This hill I'm going to go out swinging. And if I miss, glory be to you. But I know that I'm willing to sacrifice. And let me just tell you, ministry is sacrifice. Ministry is giving of yourself. Ministry is giving of your time. Ministry is giving of your finances. Ministry is giving, giving, giving. Priority of selflessness. The fourth one is passion. Listen. Without passion, nothing ever gets done. If you don't have passion for something, what's the point? Passion is not just something that we just... Go like, well, yeah, that's for them. They're kind of the crazy people. Put them in the corner and let them just kind of wind up like tops. And Like, we should be passionate about this God we serve. We should be passionate about Him wanting to take on our Goliaths for us. Passion is fearlessness. It is a willing to get out in front. Most people are like, yeah, I'm with you. Back here. You go. I got your back. Way back. I got you back, way back here. You, you just go, yeah, we love you, brother. Fifth and final one, the Lakeda would add to those why he had five stones was persistence. I, I think it's persistence. Ever, ever missed at your Goliath? See, I mean, a lot of this is put on David's skill as a as that guy with the slingshot. I mean, let's face it, it wasn't a slingshot. If you look at if you look at stories the way people tell them or little kid stories is like it's like taking your little wrist rocket and going like whoa i mean this is something this is like a battle a weapon this is like an ak something for this this time not that accurate perhaps but when you're really good at it pretty accurate but if you miss what do you do you ever missed at your goliath reload it's okay. You might not have a semi-automatic, but like reload. Don't stop because the first rock misfires. My final point is go get your giant. Go get your giant. The stone sunk right into his head. That's a good shot. I mean, that's a good shot. Here's the cool thing about this story is as I'm telling this, most of us are seeing ourselves as David. In the story, if I just do what David did, then I could become a 
giant killer as well. And there is some truth to that. But the truth of the matter is, who is David, who is David in this story? It's Jesus. Jesus is the giant slayer. Jesus is the one that goes to battle for you. Jesus is the one that has the, uh, the weapons that will take someone else out. Who's taking on your giant? That roused the Philistine and he started toward David. And David took off from the point, from the front line, running to the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone and he slung it and he hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed face down in the dirt. That's how David built, beat the Philistine. With a sling and a stone, he hit him and he killed him. No sword for David. Then David ran up to the Philistine and he stood over him, pulled the giant sword from its sheath and finished the job by cutting off his head. When the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered, running for their lives. So get the picture. You've got the Philistines on one side of the valley. You've got the Israelites on the other side. They've been mocking them for 40 days because they had giant, the champion of the world. In our Mediterranean cruise, we got to go to the original Olympic Stadium. That would seat 45,000 people in 376 B.C. 45,000 people that would come to watch wrestling and running and war-type games. And that is what they were watching, a war-type game. It wasn't a chess match. This was like for domination. Israel gets dominated or the Philistines get dominated. And all of a sudden, their champion, the one that has destroyed ever, every Olympic person that's wrestled against, and they're like, oh baby, let's go because we are in deep doo-doo. And they just took off running. It was there in this little shepherd boy's hand was the head of their champion because God had shown himself faithful. Now, I don't know how many people listen to this guy. I love Malcolm Gladwell. Listen to a lot of his stuff. And he wrote a whole book on David and Goliath. And he basically was trying to say, like, this shouldn't be a surprise. If he's a giant, he had a pituitary issue. And that pituitary issue creates really bad eyesight. So seriously, this guy, if he got a hold of you, you're dead. But if you kept out of his reach, he couldn't see you anyway. And he's really trying to make a business point that some giants, the IBMs of this world, don't see the little Microsofts coming out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, they get taken down. And he's trying to say, like, why are you worried about Puyallup Foursquare? It's not relevant to you. Yeah, it's a giant, but it doesn't do what you do. It's not the same issue. It's not the same community. It's not the same calling. It's not the same vision. And giants get overtaken at times by smaller entities because of the vision that the smaller entity has. And so David may not have seen very well, but it had destroyed or Goliath, rather, had destroyed numerous other people in order, for, in order for him to be the champion. It's really not a relevant part of the story in my mind because I don't care if he could see or not. 
Anybody that could hit him in the middle of the forehead with a rock and basically kill him is a pretty darn skilled marksman, right? And God delivered Israel by using the strengths and the weaknesses of each other. Kind of reminds me of Wazoo taking Oregon. <laughs> For the fourth time in a row. Oregon fans are just the worst. If you, are, you, are you an Oregon fan? I'll just apologize right now. Oregon fans are just so belligerent. I, I mean, last week when Oregon won, I get all these texts from all my Oregon friends saying, and then um, last yesterday, guess what they said? Nothing. I mean, they're texting me about recruiting. Who, like, text them like some of the two-star recruits. Wazoo got this over this, and they're going to beat them again. Because David can take down Goliath in many different situations. And in your life, you have Goliaths. They're coming at you. Are you being trained? Are you being ready? Ready for battle? Because you're going to have one. Are you ready to take on the Goliath that's right in front of you? Because God's going to bring a Goliath your way and you have the opportunity to win the battle just by trusting God and what He's done for you. Are you taking on the bears and the lions and, and protecting the, the, the very flock that God's giving you today? Because someday something bigger is coming. Happens for all of us. And God wants to equip you for battle. God wants to deliver you from the Goliaths that come your direction. God is with you. And He's for you. And it doesn't matter if you're in that valley. It doesn't matter if you're standing on the other side. It doesn't matter if you're being mocked right now. It matters that He's on the throne of your life. And that you're pressing toward Him. Because as you do that, little by little, at the right moment, He's going to deliver you. So would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? The band can come. I would like you just to think about the Goliath that you're facing. Maybe it's just a bear or a lion, but you're facing one. And if you would be so bold as just to put it in the palm of your hand and if you would just hold it out before you and say, God, here's, here's my Goliath. Here's my bear. Here's my lion. Here's the stuff I'm wrestling with. But God, you, you have that. Lord, help me to be ready for battle. Help me to be skilled marksmen. Help me to be trusting in you. Help me to know that, God, you've got this. No matter how loud the mocking is, no matter how loud the cursing of my God is, I know that you are the God that brings eternal life and victory. So, Lord, I hold this Goliath before you and I say, Jesus, you are the Goliath killer. So, Lord, deliver me from this Goliath. In Jesus' name, amen.